You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I am your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Every week we bring you the information that you need in healthcare so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family's needs. Uh, we uh, talk about the topics that doctors are talking about in Doctor's Lounges all across the country. And uh, we try to arm you with the information necessary so that you can uh, separate fact from fiction, which is what we're going to be talking about today. This show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led health care think tank in the country. Um, the work that we do is... Uh, absolutely essential no time more important than right now so please go to our website at www.d number four pcfoundation.org that's d4pcfoundation.org and contribute generously um your support is uh absolutely critical so that we can continue to fight for you to support healthcare freedom and to um, fight for the doctor-patient relationship which is clearly at risk more than ever right now depending on what happens politically in this country uh, so I don't know about all of you but I'm tired I'm tired of the political ads. I'm tired of the vitriol. I'm tired of the misinformation. I'm tired of the media never saying a positive word about the administration or the things that they're doing. The um, the issue right now is everybody against Trump. And it's in the media, it's in the political class, it's it's uh, getting worse and worse every day. And COVID is at the center of all of this negativity. And I, I've had it with the media and how they report COVID and what public is is consuming from the media with regard to COVID. And I felt that it was important to do a show where we can focus on 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 facts, on the reality, because they are not available to the general public. And I want to try to expose for you some of the misconceptions and some of the fallacies and some of what is being reported every single day in the media. And, I mean, I woke up today to the uh, reports that are on the mainstream media stations that are uh, claiming that Trump is uh, covering up covid based on the interviews that he had with uh, um, Woodward um, over the past year. He did, I believe, 14 interviews and uh, on-the-record interviews and admitted that he was 
putting on a brave face for the country and did not want to see the country panic about COVID. And so um, this is being spun out of control that he covered things up. And this is really just beyond the pale as far as I'm concerned. I think that enough is enough. Somebody needs to bring this back into reality. You know, COVID is a medical problem that's affecting every single person in the United States. Everybody. Everybody is affected. And in fact, pretty much everybody around the world is affected. And I'll get to that a little bit later. So when you've got a problem, a medical problem, that is affecting everybody, everybody will have an opinion. And how that opinion is framed or formulated, how it is conceived, is going to be dependent on the information that you get. As a physician, when I talk to patients every day, they come in with with preconceived notions about many of the things that I want to talk to them about. Why? Because they've done their research. And much of what I have to do every day is debunk a lot of the information that they come in with so that we can clear the playing field and allow me to present to them the correct information so that they can make an informed decision and they can um, process it and hear what is is fact and what is fiction. Now, granted, I am presenting this information with a bias. Everybody has a bias. And that does not mean that you are... Um, trying to cover up anything or hide something from somebody, honest people acknowledge that bias. I do to my patients. I'll tell my patients that there's several ways of doing it. Some people will do a procedure or recommend a treatment this way. Others another way. I'm not I don't necessarily agree with those because and I give them reasons why and then I present to them the treatment the 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 operation that I think that the patient should have based on my experience based on my knowledge based on what my understanding of this is from the body of information in the medical world that as a professional I have had the opportunity to process and present. Now it's really difficult to process complex medical information. It is not something that everybody can do. In fact very few people can do it. And yet, today, there are 325 million experts on COVID. The, the most visible of them are on your TV every night. 
and they are telling you what treatments are good, what treatments are bad, what we should be doing to contain this problem, um, and so on and so forth. And they are ill-prepared to be able to give people information, regardless of how much they've read, regardless of how smart they think they are, because it takes a lifetime of training to put yourself in a position to be able to be critical about medical information, to process it, and to understand what you're looking at and what it means. And so, right now, we are living in a pop culture environment where medical information, in this case, COVID, has been dumbed down to digestible little sound bites so that it will fulfill the political gains of various people, various interests. And this is what I'm tired about. I, I want to unpack a bunch of issues that are being talked about right now with respect to COVID, starting with statistics. You know, Mark Twain said that there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. And every single night, we are getting statistics from the national news or from the local news, COVID cases. Oh, we've topped 5 million COVID cases. We're at 6 million. We're at 190,000 deaths. You know, I think that those numbers mean nothing. They mean nothing. And the problem is that people don't understand how to look at numbers, look at statistics, and critically analyze them to be um, to be aware of what the numbers actually are telling you. As a medical professional, as somebody who has over a hundred peer review articles in the medical literature, I can tell you that it is very difficult to to present information without a bias and you move and you make your numbers fit your conclusions quite often you you have a hypothesis you do a study you have results you analyze them you reach conclusions that's scientific method and the numbers that you have very often don't support your hypothesis. They don't support your conclusions. Some people will massage those numbers and they'll move them around. Not, I'm not saying they fabricate them, but they try to make them seem that there's something that they're not. They'll, you know, the, in, in the scientific method, you have to have a certain... Um, statistical significance with your data 
for it to be validated. And that, and there's a number of statistical methods that are used to achieve statistical significance. But a lot of, a lot of people who report in the medical literature will, will try to get around that by saying, well, the numbers are approaching statistical significance, or they are suggesting that with greater numbers, we would have achieved statistical significance. And again, it's all wordplay. It's all how you want to present things to support your bias. The statistics that are out there that are being presented to the public every single night are bogus. They mean absolutely nothing. Let me share with you what what is being reported. They're, they're saying that the number of cases in the U.S. now, as of last night, has soared to over 6.35 million. Does that mean that there are 6.35 million people with COVID? Of course it doesn't. Of course not. It means that there's been 6.35 million people who've had it. That's assuming that you believe the numbers, and I'll get to that in a little a little later in the show. It's the same thing as me saying to you that if in your lifetime you've earned $2 million, but you're only making $30,000 a year, and I called you a millionaire because you've earned over $2 million in your career, you would laugh at that. You'd say, no, I'm not a millionaire. I'm only making $30,000 a year. That's what these numbers mean when they say 6.3 million people. Um, the number of cases has has exceeded 6.35 million people. Now, the number of people who have died are the num- number of people who have died, and that's, that is a catastrophe. 190,000 people have died, and that's, that's, just, that's just horrible. Most of the people who are die- have died, the vast majority, are elderly or have had pre-existing medical conditions well over 65% of those people. Now, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm heartbroken by this because, thank God, I have not lost my mom or my father-in-law to this disease, but I have very close friends who have lost their parents from COVID. And again, it's not even clear if they've lost them from COVID because the testing regime will report a COVID death if somebody has died from some other reason, but they've also had COVID. So, so it's it's a little the the waters are a little bit muddied, but you can see where I'm going with this. These numbers are just not the numbers that are reliable. That's not the numbers that you should be looking at on a regular basis. This is what the media wants you to hear because. It makes the problem bigger than it is. It every day, the news, the network news, the mainstream media, their goal is to create enough discord in this country 
so that there will be regime change in November. That is their goal. It is obvious with CNN. It is obvious with MSNBC. It is obvious with the New York Times, but not so obvious with ABC, NBC, CBS, um, some of the with NPR. You know, they want to portray themselves as middle of the road, and yet they're not. But that's their goal, to see regime change. And the more chaos, the more discord, the more uncertainty that they can create, the closer they will get to their goal. And COVID is one of those areas that is ripe for the pickings. This is the area that they believe they can go ahead and get the most traction out of. And this is where they are least capable of of presenting information that is meaningful on a scientific basis. So, statistics. Let me give you some real statistics. Yesterday, there were 22,000 new cases in the U.S. across the entire country. And that number is 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 some somewhat subject to to some variability depending on which reporting um, regime you use. If it's the Johns Hopkins or the the uh, the CDC numbers, it's hard to know. It's somewhere in the twenty five thousand case range, and that number has been coming down steadily from its peak on July seventeenth when. 75,000 new cases were reported every every day, or when they had 75,000 cases that day. The number of deaths nationwide yesterday was 350 to 400. Quite a difference from the doom and the gloom when the media says we are now up to 190,000 deaths. 350 to 400 people. Now, that's terrible. The 350 to 400 people died yesterday. But you know what? If you look at the murder victims around the country or the um, the traffic um, accidents, the fatal traffic accidents, those numbers far exceed this 354 deaths from COVID. It's a problem. We want to see no deaths from COVID, but even from the flu, there are deaths every day, and we've got the flu under some degree of control. So 350 deaths is a far, far cry from the almost 2,000 deaths at the peak on May 7th. So these are very important statistics, and it's important to look at the numbers that you're getting every night with a grain of salt. You know, let's let's drill down even more and look at states. You know, it's you get a lot of information from looking at the statistics on a state-by-state basis. Yesterday, the state with the largest number of deaths was Texas. They had 61 people who died, and that's terrible. 61 people is is a is a very very um, significant death toll. 
but it's far better than where they were at their peak when 451 people perished in Texas from COVID on July 27th. Um, the next largest state was Florida. Florida had 44 people who died yesterday. But again, far better than the 276 people who died at the peak on August 11th. So the death rates are coming down around the country. Um, In uh, California, 32 people died yesterday. In Georgia, 26. Um, Those were the, the biggies. Ohio, 22. But in New York, six people died. In New Jersey, two people died. In Alabama, one person died. And in the state of Washington and Wisconsin and in D.C., nobody died yesterday from COVID. The point is that death rates are dropping dramatically around the country in large part because of of um, mitigation tactics that have been implemented. Um, you know, masks, you can make a case whether or not masks are important or not important. Hand washing, um, sanitizing surfaces, uh, staying away from, from uh, large gatherings without um, masks, um, so social distancing. These are all contributing to the improved uh, results as far as as number of cases and death rates. But the other the other issue is that we are smarter about how we are managing this environment with COVID in it. The Swedes kept their at-risk population indoors, away from people with COVID. And the people who um, were not at risk were allowed to go about life as usual, go to work, go to restaurants, etc. And um, I think we're approaching that point in this country where um, the vulnerable people have been affected and they've they've unfortunately succumbed the ones who are least likely to die from this disease are um, either um, getting it and recovering or there are going to be people with natural immunity factors that we have no clue about right now but there are suspicions, those are the people who are being exposed but are not getting sick. You know, not everybody gets the flu, even though they're around people who have the flu. Not everybody gets the common cold, adenovirus, even though they're around people who have a common cold. And the same is going to be true about COVID. Now, what is also true is that COVID is very contagious, but yet there will be people who won't get it. They are going to have some immune factors that will protect them against contracting COVID. There's some, there's some speculation what P- 
people might have some some natural immunity, um, perhaps um, pediatricians or um, or uh, daycare workers, um, people who are around children who are sick all the time. There's some speculation that they may have enhanced immunity against this virus because they've been exposed to so many other pathogens in the in the daily course of what they do every day. So we don't know these things, but these are all um, these are all theories. It's it's speculated that this may be the reason why we're seeing fewer and fewer cases and seeing less cases in certain populations of people in our country. But if you just look at the new cases from yesterday, and I shared with you that there were 22,000 new cases yesterday. Um, Around the country, you know, the peak cases were in California, um, where they are um, probably one of the most restrictive states in the country. They had 2,600 cases, um, which is down from their peak of 12,800 cases on July 21st. Um, you know, in, in Arizona, there were only 81 new cases yesterday, down from almost 5,000 cases at the peak on July 1st. In, um, uh, let me give you another example. In um, uh, um, New York, there were 332 new cases yesterday down from the peak of 4,300 new cases on 4-2. So the point is that if you look at the infectious, and I'm sorry, that's not coming out right. If you look at the number of new cases reported state by state, and you look at the curves, they are going down for new cases. They're going down for deaths. Those are the important metrics. The third metric that's important are the number of people who are hospitalized. And unfortunately, that data is very difficult to ascertain because um, of reporting problems from hospitals and from certain states. So we really don't have that data. What's interesting is that there's only one state with an increase in their case rates. Um, and that's Wisconsin. So if you look at the curve, and that's that's the scientific way of looking at this, looking at the direction of the curve. It's almost like looking at the Dow Jones Industrial Average curve over, over a period of five years. You look at what the curve is doing. Um, in Wisconsin, they had 717 new cases yesterday. Um, the peak was actually just um, seven, six days ago when it was um, almost 1,500 cases. It's interesting. Wisconsin is one of those areas where you've had mass riots, and you wonder whether or not that had something to do with the spike in the cases. Um, the same is true in Oregon, um, where the curves are not coming down as fast as they are in other states. So it's interesting that the people who are politicizing COVID are condoning the protests and the riots. And in those states, those COVID curves are not behaving like they are around the rest of the country. So 
this is what is important. The, looking at at statistics scientifically and and trying to be a a honest broker about what they mean and um, uh, looking at uh, you know the not only the statistics but also drilling down and looking at um, what those statistics mean positive covid test the positivity rate because there are issues with the testing regime and i'm going to um, move on to the testing regime and what that means when we get back in the second half of the show so please stay with us today you're in the doctor's lounge the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make You're a generous tax-deductible donation. Enjoy the fight today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Hal. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. Today we are talking about covid separating fact versus fiction and um you know i'm trying to give everyone some kind of framework to look at covid and and be critical about what you're hearing in the news every night because it is just um being manipulated the information is being manipulated to suit the um, the agenda of the of the media, which is to uh, destroy the Donald Trump presidency, and um, I just got th- um, through telling everyone that the numbers are far far better than are being reported by the media, and you need to. Um, find this out for yourself, and you can. You don't have to take my word for it. You can. You can find this information out on on websites that are um, reporting this information accurately. The positivity rate. You're hearing about positive COVID tests, and this is another area where the media has really no idea. Maybe they do, and maybe they're being purposefully dishonest, but positive tests are not necessarily all positive tests. There are tests that are false positives, and and there are, um, in some places, they're very high. Um, and that's because testing is a 
um, it, it is based on uh, the the construction of the what we call the assay, how that test is put together. I'll explain that in a minute. But in addition to the how the test is created, testing has become a very profitable commercial venture. You know, COVID has opened the door for entrepreneurs to um, make a buck out of this catastrophe, and they are. The testing regime, the entire testing milieu, the entire testing um, environment is 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 populated by laboratories and centers and others that are profiting from doing the tests. A Boston lab um, last week called Orange Three N had. 400 false positives and they had to shut down the lab because of this. Um, In Connecticut, the Department of Public Health had 90 out of 144 tests um, come up as a false positive, many in nursing homes. How do we know that they're false positives? Because these people are retested a day or two later and the test is negative. Now, how do you know that the test the negative test is the right one, and that's that's um, interesting, and that requires a more sensitive test. So, testing, there are basically um, three tests. There are two diagnostic tests that show active disease, and there's one antibody test to detect if somebody had the disease. The diagnostic tests for active disease can either be a molecular test which detects the virus genetic material itself. Those are the PCR tests that you've heard of which are um, a, a, uh, a way that you splice, you break up the uh, RNA from the, the genetic material from the, from the virus and you analyze for it. The other way that you look at active disease. Another diagnostic test is the antigen test, which you've probably heard of, and it detects specific proteins which are on the surface of the virus. So those are the two ways that you can detect active disease. To find out if somebody had the disease is the antibody test, and it will tell you if there has been a viral um, episode that has created immunity and antibodies to that virus. And um, the, um, the antibody test won't tell you if you're sick. It'll just tell you if you're detecting antibodies. Now, the problem with that is that nobody really knows whether or not the antibodies will be protective against the virus if it changes, if it mutates. They're not sure how long immunity will last if you have antibodies. So there's a lot of uncertainty here with regard to that. With regard to the diagnostic test, there's also uncertainty. So the molecular test, the one that detects genetic material from the virus, is obtained either from a nasal swab or a swab from the back of your throat. Some of the newer tests are 
dependent on saliva. There, uh, you can. That's more a more rapid test, and these tests, can, you can get the results back the same day. But in some labs, it's taking a week. And if if a test is taking a week, it's really worthless in my opinion. It doesn't really help you. The antigen test detecting the protein on the on the virus is only obtained by the nasal or the throat swab, but that can take less than an hour because you don't have to splice the DNA. You just have to detect the presence of the protein, so it's a much more rapid test. But false negatives are more likely to occur. So what is a false positive and what is a false negative? A false Negative means that the person has the disease, but the test failed to d- determine that it was there. So the potential there is that sick people can be given a clean bill of health and spread the disease. Bad. False positives mean that the test said that you've got the disease and and you don't. And so that's bad because it will restrict people who don't need to be or it will give somebody a false sense of security that they've had the disease and they will quarantine, they'll do whatever they need to do and then they'll say, I've had the disease. I'm good. And they'll go out there and then they'll get sick. And that's and that both of those are very big problems. The American F- Academy of Family Practice wrote an editorial in their recent journal that said beware of false positives. And what they pointed out is that every diagnostic test has a cutoff that defines it as a positive test or a negative test. And that is based on the, the, um, the laboratory that is producing the test. And so developers can choose to favor a test with a high sensitivity. It means it picks up the disease or a high specificity, which means it only is going to pick up a certain a certain um, uh, part of of what they're looking for, or take a balanced approach. So, so this reveals the 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 failings of some of these tests. Why some tests may come back false positive, some may come back with false negative, because each test developed by each laboratory is going to um, reflect th- what that laboratory is trying to accomplish. Um, what is the best is if you have a test with high specificity and high sensitivity. What you're really shooting for is 99% or greater. You want to have a test that is reliable. Now, the first test that was approved, the first antibody test that was approved by the FDA, 
had a reported sensitivity of 94% and a specificity of 96%. Not bad, but it means that there's still quite a few people out of out of 100 people um six people will have been told that they um are false positive and and they're not um so so this is this is very important um the um there's a number of tests that are out there one of the common ones is the um, Thermo Fisher uh, TACPATH COVID-19 combo kit, which um, which was recalled because it had a very high false positive and false negative rate. It's a PCR test. So, I, I this is this is the kind of information that the media can process because they lack the knowledge. They lack the sophistication. Most doctors can't process this. But but yet, if you talk to people in the grocery store, they are experts on on the testing regime. And this is this is really you know very very um, problematic. I want to move on to treatments. You know, it's it would be great if we had a treatment. And you every single day there is. Um, controversy about what treatments are out there. I'm going to list a few for you um, to just try to give you an idea of what these controversies are. Um, Convalescent plasma means somebody who's gotten sick who can donate their plasma and use the antibodies that are in the plasma to help convey um, immunity to another individual or help fight a virus in an active individual. And there's been a lot of promise with that. Dexamethasone is a steroid. You may have read about dexamethasone. In patients who've been on ventilators or who have low oxygen saturations in the hospital, IV dexamethasone has shown superiority over any of the other steroids and there's promise that that may be helpful in um, in treating patients with active COVID. Remdesivir, an antiviral medication, you've heard a lot about that. Again, IV in patients who are in the hospital who are sick. This has been this has been very important and very helpful. Let me just go back to dexamethasone and just share with you the um, the promising um, uh, data that has come out with dexamethasone. One study reported um, in New York that in hospitalized patients, it reduced deaths by thirty percent for those who were on ventilators, and for twenty by twenty percent for those who had low oxygen saturations who were on supplemental oxygen. So. So there are treatments that are out there that are now recognized as helpful, one of the reasons why death rates are coming down. So the things that are out there for either what we call prophylaxis, which means to prevent the disease, or if you come down with a positive COVID test, taking it early on before you get sick, are way, way more controversial. The biggest part, the biggest um, issue the biggest treatment that is fueling the controversy as 
everybody who has not lived under a rock knows is hydroxychloroquine. Now, for a time, this was, and I think it still is, it's the first line drug in the Yale protocol, and yet you hear nothing about that. Um, in the Yale protocol, they treated, used this for their hospitalized patients with oxygen saturations less than 93% on room air, or if they have fever, respiratory signs, chest x-ray findings, or risk factors. Risk factors are old age, chronic heart or lung disease, immunosuppression, diabetes, hypertension, or obesity. And um, and they, they've had great success. There are some doctors around the country who are using this medication anecdotally. Anecdotally means on a on a patient-by-patient basis and reporting their successes. But because they are not enrolled in, quote, randomized controlled trials, that information is being viewed as, as um, illegitimate. Now, I would venture to guess that in my listening audience, which is probably skewed with doctors, most people know what randomized controlled trials are. But for those of you who are not doctors, very few people realize what a randomized controlled trial is. But in our PC culture, in our new way, our cancel culture, the way that we have treated problems for time immemorial, which has been to see how treatments affect patients and then change the way that we um, approach those patients based on our knowledge of previous patients is no longer valid. Unless you have a randomized controlled trial, that means you take some patients and you put them in one group, you take another group and you put them in another group and you give them different treatments to determine whether or not your variable is going to be effective and safe. If, unless you have that, it's, it's, that, that information is invalidated by the PC medical community. And they've they've tried to um, uh, push that narrative so that the, anybody who has information other than that is illegitimized, and that's what we're seeing by the mainstream media because they've gotten the doctors who've bought into the dogma of randomized controlled trials are the only way to look at medical information. The media has jumped onto that bus, and they've thrown everything else out, regardless of whether or not it works or not, and irregardless, irrespective, uh, irregardless isn't a word, irrespective of whether or not they even understand what they're reporting, the mainstream media. So there are doctors. The most prominent, of course, is a Yale doctor, Harvey Reich, who has been a proponent of early um, hydroxychloroquine treatment. And he has been thrown under the bus by um, a large number of the Yale faculty, despite the fact that hydroxychloroquine is on the Yale protocol. And they're saying that it's not safe and it it shouldn't be used. However, there are 
doctors around the country who have excellent results. There are medical centers around the country that have excellent results. Henry Ford Hospital, um, they cut their death rate in half with hospitalized patients who received hydroxychloroquine. In New York, they cut their death rates down substantially um, in their hospitalized patients with hydroxychloroquine. Whether or not it should be used for the outpatient remains to be seen, and maybe someday we will know. But it is a safe drug, despite the fact that there are some patients, a few patients, who um, are having side effects, but the benefits to um, people who have early COVID may outweigh the risks. And so the the problem is that it it validates what the president has been pushing, and so this must be squashed. Um, enough with hydroxychloroquine. Let me just go through a few other treatments that people are hearing about. Um, azithromycin, which is the z pack people are using that in combination with hydroxychloroquine for an outpatient early COVID diagnosis. Some preventative things that are um, that are touted, which may have some efficacy, but we don't know, is vitamin D. Vitamin D um, is useful for fighting off respiratory problems, um, and uh, it's a, a potential immune enhancer. Um, it should you should not exceed four thousand international units a day of vitamin D. Zinc, magnesium, both are. Um, potential immune enhancers, and so those are also um, important in the regimen of prevention for people who um, are interested in trying to um, reduce risk. Vitamin C, a little bit more controversial, so I I, I don't really um, have anything positive or negative to say about that. Um, There are some other other treatment regimens that have been reported. Um, There are immune um, uh, receptor, IL-6, which is an immune receptor. Um, It's a second-line drug that's been used to counter the cytokine storm, which you've heard about. You know, these, these terms I'm throwing out are are thrown around by the mainstream media like they know what they're talking about. And it's, you know, really, it's really, you know, um, not just a disservice, but it's dangerous when they start using these terms um, to uh, explain this problem to the general public, which doesn't know how to digest this information. You know, the interesting thing about how we are handling um, COVID, it has... um, allowed for the reemergence of diseases around the country, I'm sorry, around the world, that were actually improving and were in check. Um, the big three are TB, HIV, and malaria. And those, those are serious problems that are occurring around the world. Just to give you an idea of the scope of those problems, um, every year, 1.5 million people around the world die from TB. Um, 500,000 people die from HIV. 
and another 770,000 die from malaria. So all told, that's over 3 million people that die from those three problems. And because of COVID and our focus taken away from those other diseases, we can expect those numbers to increase around the world. In Russia, the HIV clinics have been repurposed into corona virus clinics. And so that's a place we can expect to see a rise. Um, in India, where 27% of the cases in the world of TB are reported, the number of cases that have been diagnosed this year has dropped by 75%. That doesn't mean that TB has gone away. It means that they've taken their focus away from looking for it because they've been inundated with COVID. Um, And just to give you a, a, a perspective, 898,000 people around the world died from COVID. So we're looking at over 3 million people from these problems. So, so uh, again, if there, COVID is a a big, a big gigantic problem that's affecting everyone. Fortunately, in the U.S., we don't see TB. We don't see malaria. So now COVID is a big problem here. Um, and, uh, something that, that is, is, you know, important, but it is um, worldwide. It is uh, it is dwarfed by these other problems that are occurring, and uh, that kind of puts COVID in some perspective. I'm going to end by talking about vaccines because that's another ripe area for media hyperbole. And every night we're hearing about how Trump is rushing vaccines, how he's going to be pushing vaccines um, faster than is safe. And this is another media lie. It's not possible. He can't make these companies release the, um, the vaccine sooner than they are um, able to from a safety standpoint. Now, one of them potentially could be released soon um, because it does have a large amount of government funding. And that's the one that you've heard of as the Moderna um, vaccine that's being developed. They're in phase three trials. Let me, let me back up for just a second because I've got just about four minutes left in the show. So vaccines, there's over a 100 projects around the world to develop a vaccine. Russia and China say that they've got a vaccine that is ready for mass production. Those are the last places in the world that you possibly can trust to produce vaccines. In the Western world, taking Russia out of the Western world, there are eight vaccines that are in active clinical trials. Three of them are in phase three. Phase one means you test your vaccine in vitro. That means in test tubes against the virus to see whether or not it can kill the virus. And then in vivo, that means in 
living organisms like animals that are infected to see if it is effective at curing the the disease that's provided you have an animal model in which you can infect so that you can treat in times of emergencies like this where they have to get a vaccine out quickly they may skip that phase and use human volunteers on a limited basis to see if the vaccine is safe no side effects and works that means safety and efficacy if they prove safety and efficacy that's phase two The next phase, phase three, is to take a group of patients in a randomized, controlled clinical trial, those who um, uh, they give the the, uh, vaccine to half, and the other half doesn't receive it, and then they they, they monitor them to see what the rates are of infection are in those groups of patients. And based on safety and efficacy, then they will know they've got a vaccination that might be able to be mass-produced um, for the public. Three, co- three companies are in phase three trials. Moderna is doing this in conjunction with the NIH. Um, Pfizer is doing this in conjunction with a German um, biotech company, BioNTech. And then the third, AstraZeneca, is doing this in conjunction with Oxford University. That is the trial that needed to be suspended last week because a patient um, got some neurologic uh, problems. Um, that patient happens to be recovering. They're analyzing that patient, and they're going to determine whether or not they can restart them. There are some other companies that have uh, um, uh, uh, that are in clinical trials right now. I mentioned there are eight companies: Sanofi, uh, GlaxoSmithKline is one. Uh, Johnson and Johnson is another. Inovio is in third. A University of Queensland in Australia is another. So there will be a vaccine. I don't know when. I think that when it comes out, it will likely be safe. Um, there's a lot of controversy whether you should take it or you shouldn't take it. And I, it's hard for me to, to say one way or the other whether we should or we shouldn't. I'm, I'm sort of on the fence. But I hope that I was able to clear up for you today fact versus fiction, the politicization of COVID and and how you really need to do your own research and, and take what you're hearing from the mainstream media with a gigantic grain of salt. I'll be back in two weeks on Doctor's Lounge. So uh, next week you'll be back with uh, my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber. Uh, thank you for being with us and uh, be well. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.